drank to get high. And, sure. Uh, and that led to um, some pretty big problems. And, you know, I look back on that time. It's about a, I call it my forgotten years. It was a five-year period from 1982 to 1987 where I was, I was throwing down anywhere from 10 to 20 pills a day and uh, reached a point where the only reason I was, was taking pills was just to stay out of withdrawal. I mean, it was just destroying my life. Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help busy people reclaim good practices for faith and life. Here's your host, Tony Meltenberger. Hey friends, happy Holy Week. Praying that you are having a phenomenal week as we enter into the celebration of Easter. I'm excited to bring you today's conversation with entrepreneur, Christian, and recovery specialist, Jay Meyer. Jay and I have known each other for the last seven years. We worked together at Next Step at Gingersburg United Methodist Church. When I was on staff there, he really did so much for me in the beginning of my walk in recovery. I'm beyond grateful for him. And his vulnerability and transparency in today's conversation is incredible. Also, I want to give a big shout out to the Matthew Tamris Collection. Um, They make custom desks and they are sponsoring today's podcast. Matt Spitz, the owner of the organization and I have become friends and he is helping me with my own custom desk. So just the other day we got to go to the lumber yard and pick out the slab that he's making the desk from. I am telling you, he makes the most incredible creations. It's like art that you can write on. If you want to know more about the Matthew Tamaris collection, I invite you to go to their website, www.matthewtamariscollection.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-T-A-M-E-R- ISKcollection.com. And now, without any further ado, my conversation with Jay Meyer. Everybody, welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm Tony, and I'm here today with a good friend of mine, Christian entrepreneur uh, extraordinaire, Jay Meyer. Jay, how the heck are you? Hey, Tony, I'm doing great, man. I don't know about the extraordinaire piece, but um, at my age, I will take any compliment I can get. (laughs) You're not that old. How old are you? I just turned 60. How many triathlons did you do last year? Well, actually, last year I only did one, but it was an Ironman, which was my first Ironman. Um, and it was uh, it was a good experience. I, I wanted to I wanted to do that like before I turned 60. And I got, I got in just uh, three months ahead of time. So yeah. that's awesome. Uh, I think Ironman should count for like three sprint triathlons. I mean, how long is the run on that? What's I mean, what is an Ironman exactly? Yeah, an Ironman is uh, it's a 2.4 mile swim, uh, 112 mile bike, and a marathon, 26.2 mile run. So uh, if you think about a sprint, triathlon is about 12 mile bike. So it's almost 10 times the sprint. Wow, that's incredible, and. Uh, for me, that I would have had to block off like a whole week to get that done. <laughs> it was it was uh, the most intense training I've ever uh, experienced building up to it. You know, putting in a lot of hours because you have to you have to have get your body ready or you're gonna at some point you'll hit a wall. So, well, I think uh, that's a, a great way to kind of jump into a little bit of your life story. I mean, you're an intense guy. I've known you for. 
um, over a decade now and various forms. So why don't you give everybody kind of the, uh, a little picture of, of your, your life story there, your, the Reader's Digest version. Yeah, so um, born and raised and still live in a little village of Covington, Ohio. Um, my, my parents were both hardworking people. My dad was a lineman for Dayton Power Light. My mom was a school teacher. Uh, I got an older brother, Jim. And, and, you know, raised in, a, in just a solid family. Uh, if there's one strike we had against us is we were German and Germans usually like to drink. And uh, that led me to some problems later on in my life. Um, but I um, really took to basketball at a young age and became a pretty good basketball player, went to college, Ohio North University, played basketball, and then uh, also uh, got my pharmacy degree, met the love of my life, Lori Kay, at Ohio Northern. We got married um, the year after I graduated. Started having kids, and um, and I alluded to this alcohol thing earlier. I, um, being a pharmacist, I, I I found that drugs gave me better highs than what I got off of the the alcohol because I always drank to get high. And, sure. Uh, and that led to um, some pretty big problems, and you know. It, I look back on that time. It's about a, I call it my forgotten years. It was a five-year period from 1982 to 1987 where I was I was throwing down anywhere from 10 to 20 pills a day, and uh, reached a point where the only reason I was was taking pills was just to stay out of withdrawal. I mean, it was just destroying my life. And yeah. So what what did rock bottom look like for you in that season? I mean, I, I've heard that phrase used a lot. Obviously, it's it's common in the recovery circles when, you know, it's hard to, to go up until you've hit bottom. What, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Rock bottom for me was, was a very lonely place because I went on this journey all by myself. I, I was very much isolated and I was dealing with uh, some pretty serious mental problems. I, I was having uh, paranoia towards the end. Um, I, I thought, I thought the police were chasing me. I was running from the police. They, you know, they were nowhere around. It was just, um, and because I was stealing drugs from the pharmacies I worked at, I knew I was going to be in pretty big trouble if I ever got caught. So I started developing these mental problems. And then um, the devil got a grip on me where he was convincing me the only way out was to take my life. Oh, wow. And so, you know, when you start, when you start, picturing yourself how you're going to do it and basically for me it was going to be an automobile head on into a tree um it's kind of ironic because when i was 16 years old two weeks after i got my license i ran a my parents pinto into a tree head on and actually lived oh wow i wasn't wasn't drunk or anything but but you know when you start mapping that out um it's a scary place a little scary yeah and good Thankfully, I got scared. Um, we had two kids at the time, third one on the way. Uh, one of our uh, children at that, that time able, and um, I mean, I remember this like it was yesterday, August 8, 1987. 
I'm sitting all alone in my room late at night. And, um, you know, up to that point, it was just basically just kind of pass out at night and just thinking, what have I done with my life? And uh, the thoughts of suicide is going through my head. And I'm, and I'm finally just say, I'm not going to do it. I'm, I, there's no way I'm going to cop out and leave my kids and my wife. So I don't know if I threw my hands up or not. I think I did. But I do know I just said, God, help me. And um, I always believed in God. Yeah. But I didn't ha- I didn't have a relationship with God up to that point in time. Now, what's Lori doing while all of this is, you know, you're in your your dark period. What is she doing as your wife? Obviously, she's raising two kids. Like you said, one of them um, has some disability challenges. I mean, there, there's a lot happening in your life and yet you're still functioning. Sounds like it was functioning at a pretty high level for somebody who's taking as many pills as you were. Yeah. And that that's the that's the thing with us. Um, you know, we have we have uh, ability to to rationalize things. And I was in deep denial. And one of the reasons I was in denial that I didn't have that bad a problem was I was still functioning. And being a pharmacist, I knew um, what I could take, what I couldn't take. And I was I was basically, you know, offsetting a, something, whatever got me high with whatever would calm me down and, and so on and so forth. But Lori. Um, God bless her. She was working behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, I came clean to her a couple times, but um, in 87, uh, March of 87, I was 28 years old. My, my stomach blew up. I had a perforated duodenal ulcer. And uh, is that from the pills? Yeah. Yeah. And, and emergency surgery saved my life. I mean, it was Wow. And so everything kind of came to the surface after that. Um, people I was working for, a couple of them figured it out. I went and talked to my brother because he's a psychologist and just, you know, what I kept trying to convince myself and others of, Tony, is I was just crazy. And if you can help me not be crazy, I won't take drugs. And, you know, I started seeing therapists and They'd all say, no, you got to take care of this drug problem. It's driving you crazy. And so my wife, she she actually called. um, I I went to a psychologist and. um, To to get help, one of my bosses told me, you know, this guy's good. So I went to him and and um, Lori gave him a call because I wasn't being honest with him. Sure. I mean, you know, the way you know that an alcoholic and addict is lying is when their lips are moving, you know, and, and I just lie all the time. I'm yeah. lying to my psychologist, you know, paying 50 bucks to lie. It, that's the insanity. But she got me to go to uh, Samaritan Hall, which is a treatment center. And uh, she actually I think she talked to somebody ahead of time, told them my story. And they're like, oh, we got to get him. We got to admit him. So I go down to Samaritan Hall, Lori, I go with Lori um, and uh, take this assessment. And I lied through the whole thing. And after the assessment, the clinician, his name was Bob. He looked at me and said, hey, we got a bed open. We can take you right now. And I'm like, I just told you I don't have a problem. Didn't you read my assessment? Well, 
come to find out, Lori had talked to him. Lori gave it, gave her own assessment. Her own assessment. <laughs> so, you know, and I just stormed out and and, you know, we didn't talk all the way home. And and at that point, I think that's when Lori just kind of cut the ties. She she knew she that that um, she just had to. Um, basically, you know, she we had Jordy, our our disabled son to take care of. And now she's got this disabled husband that she's taken care of. And and at that point, there was this, uh, you know, she just had to separate herself from my craziness. And but, you know, like I said, I did go to my brother and my brother um, asked me if I would talk to someone who was in recovery. It's like I said, he's a psychologist. He said, I can't help you, but I can find somebody that can. So there was a guy from Covington <clears throat> that uh, he had been sober about five years, and I met with him, and I felt an instant connection, an instant uh, relief of, yeah, this is the answer, but I just was so sick that I kept using, but I would see him and talk to him. I started reading a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, and eventually my wife and my brother and one of my bosses, they were working behind the scenes and they put together an intervention on me, which an intervention basically b- brings reality to the addict. Yeah, because everybody um, shows up and they begin to, to share the truth in a way that the addict has never seen it before, right? So true. And, you know, Tony, when you talk about the truth, the devil cannot mess with the truth. Right. Uh, you know? there's just that's one area the devil doesn't like you to go and and they're firing truth at me and i'm trying to lie my way out of it and so i went to treatment august 9 1987 which was the day after i said that prayer um august 8 1987 raised my hands i'm basically surrendered to god and said help me that's (laughs) praise god yeah yeah so um, you get to rehab and how long are you in rehab for and, and what happens to your pharmacy career? Because, I, I mean, obviously, most people would think that there's some consequences for uh, a guy in the pharmacy world who's selling pills or taking pills. Yeah, yeah, there's some consequences. Um, so um, I go to treatment for five weeks. And. Um, just real quickly, then when I got discharged, they had me go to outpa- intensive outpatient therapy for three months and then just regular outpatient therapy for another three months because I was a pretty sick puppy. Yeah, so you but did about, 90 meetings in 90 days twice, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. I did. Uh, uh, you know, they told me to go 90 meetings in 90 days, and I went to well over 100. Um, I've been to I, I went to over 1,000 in the first three years. Hey, what do you think? What do you think that that kind of devotion to the to the healing process did for you? Like if if somebody's out there saying I, I don't need to I don't need to go that much or I, I'm what do you think that that consistently showing up did for you that it could you couldn't have gotten on your own? Yeah, you know, one thing I learned, I heard this in a treatment center and then I heard it at the meetings a lot is, you know, we don't have a drinking problem. We got a thinking problem. And. Mm. In order to stay sober, we got to change our thinking. And so hanging around those meetings, because the first first several months, I never said a word. I just sat there and listened. And uh, I had a sponsor who I would talk to 
maybe not every day, but at least every other day. But it was all about, you know, sharing with them how I felt. And most of the time, you know, when I started thawing out and I got off the drugs and by, by the way, I was an opiate addict was the biggie and withdrawals just horrible. Uh, but once I thawed out, um, I became highly anxious, irritable. And, um, so I would talk to these people, I would listen to people, how they, how they handle it. And a lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, you're going to have a bad moment, Jay, but you got to learn how to just leave it as a moment instead of just letting it ruin your day. Um, man, that sounds like that's true for everybody, right? Yeah. It's just that type It's you know, it's simple, but I never realized that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, the big thing I think in those meetings was th- was was changing my thinking, but it was also it gave me hope. I remember the first meeting I went to when I got out of treatment was down to Crossroads Club in Dayton. And as soon as I walked in, I know God did this. He had me look on the wall. It said hope is found here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I sure hope so. You know, it's like I, I just I hope that's true. Now, and it is. What is your relationship like with God in this process? Because you surrendered to God, but you had never really, um, correct me if I'm wrong, followed God before. And so now you're on this kind of path of both recovery and discipleship. What does that, I mean, what what did that look like for you? Yeah, it, uh, it's a good question because <clears throat> prior to this, like I said, I'm at August 8th, 1987, when I finally surrendered, I had turned my back on God. Um, I was angry at God. Um, when our second child, Jordan, was born, I was in the throes of my addiction. And that's when I really got bad. And when he started having his complications and his difficulties, I thought God for sure was punishing me. And I can remember going to the Old Testament, Tony, and I don't know where it is, but it was, you know, talking about how, um, you know, next generations are going to be uh, inflicted with famine and death and all. it's like there you go you know i sure screwed this up thanks a lot god and i just kind of turned my back on him and um well in aa um our sobriety is is contingent upon our spiritual condition and in aa they call god a higher power and um so I knew I needed to start believing in somebody other than myself because that's what got me into trouble thinking that, you know, sort of like I was playing God. So it's like, okay, I'll believe in a higher power. And I was somewhat anti-religious at the time, but those meetings served as my God. Yeah. And now I know it was the Holy spirit that was present because I would feel this spirit in the meetings and I almost got addicted to meetings because it, it just it would calm me down. And uh, but it was the Holy Spirit. And, and so my journey and if if you've ever read the 12 steps at the end of the 12 steps, it says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we carry this message to other alcoholics who are still suffering. And 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 the whole goal of the 12 steps is to help the person have a spiritual awakening which I did. And that's when I started saying, Jesus is the way. All I was doing then was saying it, but I just knew that Jesus was the way. And that came from my upbringing. I was raised in a Lutheran church. Um, 
and uh, heard a little bit about Jesus, didn't understand it. Um, and you're right, I wasn't really following. You know, I always looked at God back then as this God of convenience. And mm-hmm. if I was in trouble, that's the only time I'd pray to him. Yeah, there's such a big difference between knowing Christ and following Christ. Oh, amen, brother. So you amen. go you go into recovery, um, and are are you working? I mean, what happens to your pharmacy career uh, for oh, a guy yeah, who's, yeah. who's doing like 20, 20 pills a day or however many it was? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I meant to bring it up when I was when I was in treatment. About two weeks in, a, um, an agent from the Drug Enforcement Administration showed up. And um, that had to be the scariest, second scariest moment of your life at that point. Yeah, it 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 ranked right up there with when we thought we were losing Jordan. Um, you know, it was. Uh, I mean, I was just blown away. And the guy's name was Fred Williams. I'll never forget him because I believe Fred played a big role in my story, my mess becoming a message because when he sat down with me, he said right away, um, if there's ever a time for you to be honest, Jay, it's right now because I've been to the pharmacies that you worked at. And that's another thing, Tony, I I worked at several pharmacies so I could kind of, you know, rob from Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. Mm. Manipulate the system uh, so you can get what you need. Right. And I was always, you know, staying ahead or uh, ahead of getting caught. And uh, he said, if ever, ever time to be honest is now, because there's so many pills missing, Jay, um, we think you could be selling. And, you know, selling drugs, stealing and ingesting drugs and stealing and selling drugs is 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 different. And and so I just I just let him told him everything. And it was me. I wasn't selling it. I wasn't selling anything. I was just stealing to to get high. And uh, so when I got discharged, <clears throat> well, let me back up. That night, I was all alone in a lounge of the treatment center. Just, I mean, I was scared to death. Just petrified because I knew I was going to jail. Of course, right? I I'd ne- yeah, I'd never practiced pharmacy again. And it's like God had taken me to my knees, probably my hands and knees, to where I just said, God, you know what? I don't care if I ever practice pharmacy again. I don't care if my reputation is tarnished. If I can help one person not do what I did, I'll say yes to you the rest of my life. Wow. And, you know, and, and I remember having that conversation I didn't know what I was saying, but I give you an example. When you reached out and said, hey, you, would you do a pod, podcast with me? You know, I, and I knew you were going to want to talk about my recovery journey. Sure. You know, it's like, yeah, uh, I've tried to keep that commitment to God. And um, yeah, so anyway, the pharmacy situation, Tony, I'm, I'm getting up every day for over two years Okay, I'm not practicing pharmacy. All I'm doing is going to meetings. Family's getting in debt. I'm using credit cards to pay bills. I don't think my wife realized the extent of the problem we we were in financially because I just didn't want to burden her with that. She had me. She had Jordy. And um, 
two and a half years into it, I'm still I still don't know if if I ever practice pharmacy again. I still don't know if I'm going to jail. Uh, the case was in the county prosecutor's hand. I did have an attorney. Uh, my attorney really wasn't giving me much as far as the progress or, or whatever. And finally, I, I picked up the phone one day. Oh, I'll, t- I'll back up. My sponsor, because this was a very an- anxious time for me. I get up every day thinking I was going to jail. You know, oh, like, like, I mean, gonna... and you're still really new in recovery, considering yeah. what you were up against. Yeah. So, you know, I picture myself getting handcuffed in front of my little kids and all this. And and so I'm two and a half years sober and I'm I'm thawed out and I'm like, you know what? I think life could be really good. But I got this thing, this this big anvil that's hanging around my neck, and I got to find something out. So I called the State Board of Pharmacy and, uh, you know, said, you know, Jay Meyer, can you check on the status of, of my pharmacy license? And and the guy I talked to, I talked to him a couple of years earlier when they all set me up because they got a um, recovery program. Uh, a peer-to-peer type recovery help program through the state board of pharmacy, and I met him there, and because he's in recovery, and he said, "Jay, he goes, You're, all charges were dropped." What? <laughs> I said, yeah, "This is Jay Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R." He goes, "Yeah, didn't anybody tell you?" Oh my! I, I said, "No." Do you know when? He goes, "Oh, it's been some time. I know that you know." You still have your pharmacy license. There's nothing on your license, Jay. And, and, and it was like in that moment, it's like God does perform miracles. I mean, because I, I, you know, I, I, I started asking people, especially like my the one boss I was stealing most of the drugs from. When we get into my business side. I'll talk more about him. But uh, I went to him and I said, were you working behind the scenes or something? And he, no. No, nobody was. And he in fact, I was just with him yesterday and he said, I'll tell you why they dropped everything. That DEA agent saw the character in you. Wow. He knew he was not dealing with a thief. He knew he was dealing with a sick person. And every week, Tony, I, I would have I had this little calendar book I carried with me everywhere. And every meeting I attended, I'd have uh, the person that ran the meeting sign that book. Every counseling session, I have the book signed. I dropped urine screens all the time for the first year. I mean, it was like every week and then randomly whenever they called. And I had all that stuff sent to Fred Williams at DEA. And um, I truly believe he was an agent of God. I mean, it was, that's all I can think of. Let me ask you this, Jay. If, if you had known when they dropped your license and you had immediately gone back to work at, at that first moment, like if you would have gotten a letter from them saying, hey, you're all clear. Do you think you would have uh, stopped going to meetings so you could go back to work? I mean, do you feel like maybe God was at work and in, in keeping you in a pattern until you were completely thought out? Uh, I absolutely believe that. I, I It took me a little bit to understand it because I was kind of upset in the beginning you know, because it could have been a year and I was we were in debt. I mean, there has to be a sense of injustice in that, even in the in the realization that you did something wrong. Your family's still suffering. You don't want your family to suffer. Yeah. That's just I mean, that's everybody, I, I would think. Yeah. And I what I 
the way I finally accepted, I remember talking to my sponsor and he said, I kept telling you, God's the judge. And he's the one's going to decide whether you go to jail. And he was also the one that's going to decide when it's time for you to be free. And I don't think, Tony, if if that would have been like a year and a half into it, we may not be talking today. Wow. I, you know what I mean? I I have to trust that God knew because I, I never walked a straighter line in my life than I did those couple first couple years in sobriety because I certainly didn't want to do anything to compound the problem and the situation. That's incredible. And so this is this is what, 1990 at this point, 91? Yeah, yeah. About uh, 19. Yeah, we're into 1991. And now um, you're clear to go back to pharmacy. You've uh, you've got three kids at this point or still two? We got. Yeah, we have three. So you had your third child. Lori's still a saint, actually. Um, and uh, what what happens next in your story? How do you get back into uh, the pharmaceutical world, stay healthy and follow Christ? Because it, it seems like that would be an overwhelming task for anyone. Yeah. Um, my the Like I said, the, the, the guy was still most of the most of the drugs from. Uh, he took me back. He saw something in me and uh, gave me a second chance. So what that meant for him was, and this kind of came from my counselor. It also came from me was like, please don't leave me alone in the pharmacy with these drugs. So he said some and, really good boundaries. Yeah. So if he wasn't there, we always had to have another pharmacist, which was expensive for him. Oh, I can imagine. Um, and I remember this lady, her name was Julie. And the very first time she showed up, because um, he had to take off, go to a meeting in the middle of the afternoon. And she came in and and she just kind of looked at me like, so you're Jay. <laughs> you mm. know, you're, you're the guy that needs baby a babysitter. And, uh, you know, and, it, and it, at first it was kind of like I was taken back and 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 then she was just this nicest lady. You know, I was I was like telling myself stories that she was judging me and all that. And she was just so accepting. And eventually I shared my story with her. And um, but, yeah. And then the other thing that that this um, my boss allowed me to do we were servicing nursing homes at the time. And one of my responsibilities before I went to treatment was uh, I would go out to the nursing homes and review charts. And so um, I did that, but I had to tell all the administrators and nursing directors, you know, I'm now an addict. So don't let me near the drugs, um, which is, you know, is that the most said, I mean, incredibly humbling, right? Oh, real humbling. Um, very humbling, but you know you had you got to set these boundaries up. No matter how badly I wanted to stay sober, <clears throat> I still knew how sick I was. And um, and one thing that in the treatment center we really had some great education around the whole disease process. And what uh, one thing I clung on to because they were worried that I would not. Uh, except the fact I was also an alcoholic, but I knew I was. I mean, I I drank to get high, and I never drank in moderation. And um, 
And I just remember him explaining the whole alcoholic process where he said, you can stop drinking, but if you're an alcoholic and you have the disease, um, as soon as you pick up again, it's like you never stopped. Doesn't mean you're going to get blasted that first time, but you might drink under control a few times, but eventually it'll be right back to where you were. It's not like you're going to build up five years. And and I really hung on to that because, you know, uh, I, I saw that happen when I tried to get clean on my own. You know, I'd stop the drugs, um, go through withdrawal, which is just a horrible, horrible process. And then I'd go about 30 days or so, kind of feel good about myself, and I'd crack open a beer. And next thing I know, two days later, I'm back stealing drugs again. And a couple of days after that, I'm now taking 20 pills again. And yeah, it was it's, like, it's... yeah. It's incredible how easy it is to lie to yourself about what you can handle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're uh, you're doing the pharmacy rounds. You're admitting you're an addict to administrators and peers. Um, and yet somehow or another, you managed to to have a very successful pharmaceutical career. How, how does that happen? <laughs> it's uh, well, first of all, I give all the glory to God. Um, you know, it was, um, one thing that I found is I, I had this entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. I really enjoyed the creative side of business. You know, a lot of people, uh, I mean, people kind of use the word entrepreneur loosely, but really it's the person that, that sees the opportunity to fulfill a need in the world. And and they go about and, and they figure it out and they, you know, in the process, they end up creating a business and creating jobs and maybe making some money. But it's really about seeing an opportunity to to make the world better. And if you look at some of the greatest entrepreneurs and visionaries like Jobs and, and Gates and the Wright brothers, where they basically, well, Jobs and the Wright brothers gave their whole lives to enhancing their corner of the world with this idea well when um i got back into the pharmacy scene i saw a huge opportunity in the nursing home area and we were servicing a a few nursing homes but we really weren't that aggressive and and my boss at that time said you know and i went to him i said tom i really see potential here are the things i think we can provide the customer that the competition's not doing and he said, hey, man, have at it. Well, I got I, I went at it and we started growing and then he made me a partner, which which really helped things, because then it's like, you know, uh, it was well, your best is, 125. Yeah, your vested interest changed drastically. Yeah, exactly. So, you, you know, and, and, and I can remember the day he came to me and said, you know, I need five thousand dollars from you so we can hit payroll because I'm putting in 15 grand. You, your part's five grand. And. I had to go to my mom and say, well, you loan me $5,000. I have $5,000. But, you know, that's kind of the, the journey of an entrepreneur. Um, so we became successful. And uh, I um, I don't know when it was, Tony, but at some point I started turning that business over to God every morning. It was probably 92, 93 yeah. So what, like, what does that know, look like? Yeah. I mean, practically speaking, what's the what, what's your morning routine in that moment? Yeah. Back then, it was still very recovery oriented. 
just keep me, you know, help me do the things I need to do to stay sober, Lord. Help me be the best uh, husband, father, son, brother, leader that I can be. But then it would be I would specifically picture myself saying and take health care pharmacy, Lord, and may may you be the director. Let me be the vessel. And I would picture myself just handing it to him. And then I got in routine at night, you know, especially when you have a rough day. Um, and, and I very I never say you have bad days anymore. Ever since I got sober and was relieved, you have rough days and, and you have a rough day. And and it's like, uh, OK, God, um, I'm going to I'm going to hand you the pharmacy tonight. And when I get up in the morning, I know that you're going to bless me with some answers. And sure enough. You know, I'm sure you've experienced this, Tony, when you when you turn something over, God will come back and say, here you go. And, and so, you know, I'm doing it at night. I'm doing it in the morning and uh, business really started being blessed. And what's, what's crazy to me about that, Jay, is that the your rock bottom moment is this act of surrendering, which becomes the foundation for everything else in your success. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still doing it today. Surrendering. It is. And so you surrender the, the business to God every morning, every night. And then what does God do in return? Yeah. You know, and it's not, you know how we, uh, we live our lives forward and we understand it backwards, right? Sure. So, so we're in the moment and you're seeing, you, you're seeing this growth. And, and for me, it was like, okay, here's a guy that totally, crapped on his profession now he's being successful at it he's a partner and during this time period i was i was kind of becoming nationally known in the mm -hmm. pharmacy arena because we were growing and and people were like you know how do you do this you were networking with me and all that and i mean it was before the internet and and uh and there were some days i would i would like pinch myself is this really happening you know because I, today, I never question the the awesome powers of God. Back then, it was like, is this really happening? I'm just a drunk. I'm just a drug addict. I mean, I'm a thief. I lied. I, you know, and it's like until I finally hit that point, you know what, dude? That's all been wiped clean by his blood. Wow. Quit going back there. Come on, that'll and preach, it, man. <laughs> and, it, and it holds so many people back, Tony. And that's why I chose Jesus as my higher power. I mean, it, it, it is a um, partnership you can't go wrong with. And, and so the more you can let go of all that old baggage, those old bad thoughts and all that, and the more you hold on to his grace and his teachings, um, the more powerful your journey becomes. So... So now, you know, I'm, I'm this businessman. And what was really fun is as we started growing, we actually sold it. OK. Um, we sold the business. And. Um, 19, 1998. And um, I got new partners then because my 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 original partner was 17 years older than me. Oh, OK, so you you. You still maintained your interest in the in the business at that point. Yes. Yes. So sold cashed it to out. some cashed out, sold it to some people, but you were still yeah. working slash running it. Yeah, they gave me 
they gave me a, a, um, uh, an interest in it, uh, pretty significant, and made me a uh, partner, kept my title as president. That's the other thing is, two years before we sold, the owner named me president of the pharmacy. Now, what this good- is the guy that used to steal drugs from that pharmacy. I I can't even imagine what is going through your head as he's like, okay, now you're going to be the president. What what an incredible man of faith in you and in God. I just I mean, you you, you can't make us up. You know, when you when you can't make up a story that that, you know, it's got to be God. So anyway, we sell. And. Uh, um, I get these new partners. Well, my 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 old partner ends up working for me just as a staff pharmacist. I mean, that's incredible. And we were, you know, he, like I said, I was just with him yesterday, and we were just kind of laughing like you were about, you know, isn't God amazing? So so then we then we really started growing, Tony. And the reason I'm I'm going to this point where, um, we we, we just. It, it really took off. And a lot of it had to do with my new partners having more access to money because it, you know, you, you got to invest money to grow a business. And what became so cool then was we grew to maybe 200 employees. Oh, wow. And um, I was not um, a Bible thumper at work, but I was very open about my faith and talked openly about it. And, and, and to me, there, there's not a not better, no better mission work for an entrepreneur than to be able to be open with the people that work with you. About yeah, your what's, faith. I mean, what's an example of that? If there's a, a businessman listening and they're like, I don't, I don't know how to bring my faith into my work. What advice would you give them as somebody who's done it um, with a, a very large team? Yeah. You know, OK, I just something we we often say to each other when somebody's having a rough day or um maybe tragedy hits we say you know what you're in my prayers i would always look at that person and say you're in my prayers and you really are in my prayers i'm going to write your name in in my journal and i pray for people every morning um the other thing i would do is um i had monthly meetings for all the employees to attend because uh, it's really important for the for the leader to be in touch with the troops. So what we did was uh, uh, in one 24 hour period, because at that point we were uh, uh, three shifts. We were 24 seven shop, which meant, I, you know, I had to go in on third shift at 3 a.m. to meet with the sh- third shift crew. But I also had 180 other people that I had to meet with during the day. So I had five one hour meetings during the day. So in during that day, I'd have six, six one hour meetings. And half the meeting was giving them an update on the pharmacy, talking about our vision, mission, values. The other half um, was some type of leadership training. And, uh, you know, we studied the seven habits of highly affected people, uh, one minute manager, raving fans. We had these books we would follow and I, you know, everybody would get a book and then then I would talk about it. And uh, in those conversations with the troops, then I would you know, share, uh, you know, was nothing for me to tell him. You know what? Um, I got to be honest with you. There's sometimes I don't have the answer. That's why I turn this place over to God every night and every morning. And, you know, you can kind of see him sitting there like, really? 
Oh, so you're, you're not evangelizing, like, read this, do this. You're just sharing by example. Yeah, yeah. And then I would, you know, it, um, I, I ended up sharing um, parts of my story because I thought, you know, something I didn't want to happen was for them to uh, hear on the street, you know, your leader's a drug addict. Mm. And, uh, you know, Covington's a small town. And, and we had other town people from other communities working for us. But um, so, I, you know, once again, I had to be bold in my faith. I had to be bold in who I was, uh, not that it overwhelmed anybody. Uh, but I don't know when it was several years ago. God took me to Micah 6, 8 where I, I think I was searching for what's it mean to do good in God's eyes. And in Micah 6, 8, it basically says, you know, here's what doing good is. It's doing right, giving mercy and being humble. Mm. So do the next right thing. Give mercy, you know, love others when it's really hard, forgive others um, and be humble. Let it be more about God than it is about you. And I would talk about that stuff when I'd have those monthly meetings uh, wouldn't necessarily say Micah six, eight, but I say, you know, the, the, the best lives that are lived are ones, people that just do right, give people a second chance, give mercy and be humble. For example, my boss gave me a second chance 12 years ago. I wouldn't be in front of you today if he did, you know, just examples like that where you can infiltrate your faith, not overwhelm them, um, I think sometimes people are irresponsible that way. Just my opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that sometimes people get a little over the top. But, you know, biblical truths are always relevant. Exactly. So you're leading this organization. You've got new partners. You're expanding at rapid growth. Uh, what happens next in your story? Um, we – I – uh, our family started attending Gingensburg Church in the early 2000s. I think it was right around 2000. Okay. And Gingensburg had this recovery feel to it. Um, yeah, kind of gr- kind of gritty and just honest and authentic and yeah. humble and yet not polished but just real. Yeah. And the pastor, Pastor Mike, would stand up there and say, you know, I'm only 24 hours away from screwing up big time if I don't stay close to God. And, you know, that's the way I looked at my life then. I mean, I, um, I know I can mess things up and I had a much better run when I got God directing me, directing my life instead of me. So it's like, I felt this recovery feel. And then I just remember imagining and actually, well, it, it was somewhat of a vision of, wow, wouldn't it be really powerful to combine the 12 steps with Jesus? Because at that point, I was a Jesus follower. I don't know exactly when that conversion took place, late 90s, 97 or so. You know, for many years, God was AA to me, and, and I finally sorted that out. And I thought, you know, there's got to be a lot of people out there like me that get sober, get their life back on track through the steps. But their next step can be to to take it another step further with Jesus. And there's other people who get sober with Jesus, but need the steps to clean up their lives, the wreckage of the past. 
And so their next step could be going through the steps. So, so again, that's an entrepreneur spirit in you seeing a, an opportunity. Yeah. Seeing yeah. an opportunity that Jesus works in both ways. And then right. what do you end up doing? Well, um, it's funny. Uh, Pastor Slaughter had heard about my business success. And, you know, at, at Ginghamsburg, most churches these days do, every now and then do videos uh, about people. And, and like so the goal of this video, they wanted to do a video of me talking about my walk with God while running this business. And um, so during that video, I alluded to the fact that I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict, you know, and um, obviously Mike didn't know that. And um, so. And I can't remember exactly how this came about, but I think. Uh, Mike's secretary at the time. Uh, was very much um, passionate about recovery. And Mike was kind of talking about, you know, we need to do something recovery oriented. And somebody said, well, I want you to talk to Jay, see what he thinks. So actually brought me and, and uh, three other people in. We started talking and I just threw this vision out. I said, this is what I see. So in April of 2005, we had our very first what we call next step recovery celebration. Still going strong today. And uh, I really started getting drawn more and more to that. Okay? I was still enjoying business, but I was very passionate about recovery and the recovery church we were building and all that. And this is uh, even before Celebrate Recovery or anything like this. You, I mean, it was really um, I've looked at the history of this like it's it was really groundbreaking at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, and Celebrate Recovery may have just been started about the same time. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty new and and um and we built it, you know, two, three hundred people would be there on a Saturday night. We we intentionally scheduled it for Saturday evening because that's always a big party evening, and we'd have people come there and you could smell they've been drinking, had a couple of drug <clears throat> overdoses, you know, I mean, just come as you are. Yeah, just life unfolding right there in the middle of the service sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And um, so in, oh, what was it? Oh, eight. We sold the pharmacy again. And this time and you that, sold it and got out. Yeah, I got out in 2010. OK. And so um, I always wanted to write a book. Uh, with some principles and, you know, about how he, he got sober and so on and so forth. So I uh, retired in 2010, 2012. I published my first book. It's called In Search of Peace, and it's a devotional. I think 2014, I published my second book. It's called Fear Proof, another devotional. And I'm just finishing up my third book called Victory Over Opiates, which is another devotional. And the reason I'm making that point is morning devotion time for me um has been the key piece of of any success I've had in my life. Um, you know, I, I'm very intentional about spending time with God each and every morning. I don't care if I got any sleep the night before or not. It, it happens and it can range from anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour. And, so uh, what would you that, 
tell somebody who has like never done this before and they wanted to start off? Um, what I mean, you use a very specific kind of outline in your in your book. Um, what's the process that you that you recommend most often for devotion? Yeah, for your morning quiet time. Like if if yeah. you're talking to somebody who's never done it before and they say, Jay, I, I want to learn what it means to spend time with God in the morning. H- how are you setting them up for success? Yeah, so there are all kinds of devotional apps out there and devotions. Um, I would suggest that you have something, <clears throat> whether it's a book you're reading or following, um, that uh, you know has scripture attached to it. So you might read the um, the book and read the scripture. And then I always have a journal handy and um, I just start writing whatever uh, God's speaking to me. And it's amazing how uh, scripture can speak different to you based upon the season of your life. And um, and then in my journal. Um, well, and I also spend spend some time meditating and listening to. OK, so <clears throat> I write this down. How can I apply this uh, to my life? And I got this little acronym, uh, ACT, A-C-T. And it's basically, um, how can I apply this scripture, this devotion to my life? Um, My connection then is uh, a prayer to God, basically saying, you know, Heavenly Father, help me do this, 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 and this. And then my T is to take positive action. What's the one thing I'll do today to try to make that happen? <laughs> and, um, you know, just write in the journal. And then in my journal, I've got my my prayer list. Like I said earlier, I pray for people every morning. So that means that you've been writing in journals for over 20 years? Yeah, it, it's my second addiction, Tony. Do you keep them all? Do you keep them all? Uh, I mean, does, does Lori so have you built journals. a shed for journals in the backyard uh, or something? When I die, my kids and her are going to just say what? I mean, when they, <laughs> you know, I thought about I thought about burning them, but I thought, you know, they need to know what was going on in their old man's head. And now, are, do, you, good. do you bullet journal or do you do you write paragraphs or is it dated? Is it uh, is there a, a process that you use in journaling? Yeah, I always put the date, like, you know, today, what is this, the 26th, February 26th, 2019. I summarize the day before. Uh, it's sort of like taking an inventory. And if there was any frustrations or maybe things that I didn't turn over to God the night before, you know, I'll kind of list those. But most of the time I talk about the great things that happened uh, the day before. And I think that just kind of gets me started on positive uh, foot and then uh, read the devotion, read the scripture and um, meditate and then write some more, do my act acronym. And um, then I go to my prayer list and in my prayer list, I have uh, at the beginning of that, I have the third step prayer. I've been praying the third step prayer uh, and the third step in Alcoholics Anonymous is. Um, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God. And um, the third step prayer is very much about turning our will over to God and then uh, in being successful with that, 
we're good representative to others. So I pray that every morning. And then I got like four scripture verses I pray. And then I got the list, list of people I pray for. And then after that, I pray uh, for my family, uh, for the business, for any uh, big projects I'm working on. And, you know, family means uh, my nephews, nieces, sons, daughters, grandchildren, all the people, everybody. Oh, yeah. And and really close friends. Um, And that's it. I mean, that's that's it. it. And then it's that night, normally take you 30, 45 minutes an hour. Like this morning, it was 30 minutes because I, I had something I had to get to uh, that was work related. Um, but I would say majority of time, it's 45 minutes to an hour. But I can do all that I just said in 30 minutes and it can be quality. Now, you retired. Um, what did you do in your time of retirement? I, I know that you're back working now, and I want to get to that. But what yeah. I, I think it's um, there's an interesting path of redemptive redemption here in your retirement because you retired for a very specific reason. Uh, and, and part of that had to do with your son, Jordy. Yeah. So my son, Jordy, who's now 33, I retired in 2010, so he'd been about 24 then. Up to that point in life, my wife, Lori, the saint we talked about earlier, was his primary caretaker. And Lori's not that big a person. And I started having this poll to do something else. And it's like, I was just thinking the other day, I could have made a lot more money if I'd have stayed with that pharmacy. But that money didn't mean as much to me as giving Lori help with Jordy. And uh, so what I have done is I'd say right now we're 50-50. I try to be more than 50%. Um, Anytime I can give a hand, give him his bath, feed him. Uh, It's always been my commitment ever since I retired uh, was to to help more with Jordy. And in, in that process, Tony, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but up to that point in time, when I did have like a night that I had to give Jordy a shower, or had to feed him because Lori had something going on, he was more like on my checklist of just, you know, something to get done, which, you know, I'm not proud to say that, but I'm just being honest. Yeah. And after I retired, and started caring for him, really caring for him, man, I have this relationship with him. It's just, it, it is phenomenal. I mean, it's, and he can't talk and stuff, but man, we just have a blast. And Well, I'll be and honest. I, when I, when I see you guys, I see joy and, and I've only known you since you've retired. And so when, yeah. when our relationship started, you were taking care of Jordy most of the time. And what I saw f- from you and him was, the kind of that fruit of the spirit of, of joy with each other. And and there were no words and there are no words, but it was so palpable. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, Tony, I don't know when it was at some point early on, I was having a really rough day with him because there come there's some days that he's just tough to take care of. And <clears throat> I just kind of backed off and said a little prayer and a thought came to me. It probably came from God that, you know what, you got to, you got to take care of Jordy like you're taking care of God. Mm. Um, 
Because in a lot of ways, I mean, he's never sinned. He never holds a grudge. The only time he gets angry is if, you know, if he's like constipated or hungry. You know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, basic he, human stuff. Yeah. It, and it, he has the fruits of the spirit. And it's like, you know what? In my Someday I'm going to write a book. The title is Living with God. And it's going to be about my journey of living with Jordy. Um, to be able to to handle him the way that we should nourish that relationship, you know, with Jesus. And um, yeah, I've learned so much from that kid. I know it's kind of, you know, rhetoric and cliche. People say that when they have a, a special needs uh, son or daughter. But, man, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, I've witnessed it with my own eyes. Watching you two together has been uh, learning for me. So I, I it may sound cliche, but I know you're living it. So it's not. So. Yeah. Um, so where, where are you now? What, what does it mean to you today after this incredible journey to kind of be a, a Christian entrepreneur? Because you're, you're back in the pharmaceutical world now, right? Yeah. Uh, for uh, eight years, I opened my own uh, started my own consulting business, did a lot of strategic planning work with small, independent, private businesses, just kind of shared with them. Most of the time I lined up with other Christ followers. Uh, makes it a little bit easier to work with uh, people with with uh, like values. And then I had the opportunity to get back into pharmacy. It actually started stirring about uh, four years ago. And uh, once again, it's about fulfilling a need that I see uh, what I see happening right now, uh, people are living longer, most of it due to medications, but one of the main reasons people get readmitted back into hospitals after being discharged is by because they don't take their medications correctly. Hmm. So I got with some other visionary entrepreneurs and said, you know, we really need to focus on how we can deliver meds to people in their homes in compliance packaging so they don't you know they open up a pack and everything in that pack is what they're supposed to take at 9 a.m and the next pack is 1 p.m the next pack is 5 p.m yeah so people can't mess it up yeah how can we do it so they don't mess it up uh so we can help the system you know because it costs a lot of money for a hospital readmission and we also you know the more time a patient spends in the hospital less their chances are getting out so, you know, the opportunity to enhance uh, the life of a human being, you got an opportunity to enhance health care in general. And the guys I were talking to, they had the same vision. Uh, so I got back in and um, been doing that for a couple of years, uh, full time for a year. And, you know, it's 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 going. I mean, uh there's some days I say, why? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, that's what every entrepreneur says that I've talked to. <laughs> There's some days I say, why? Why am I doing this again? Mm-hmm. And, but, and uh, what's, your, what's your relationship with God like now? I mean, where where are you and God at on? I mean, you're, you're still journaling 20 some odd years later. Uh, yeah. You're writing books. I, I mean, I get your email every morning. What what you, you send out a, a daily uh, thought or devotional uh, every day, and um, where are you and God at? You know, um, one thing I figured out several years ago was you can never 
get close enough to God, just as soon as you think you're you're there, there's this it's like being in this cave and you think you've reached a dead end. It's like, oh, wow, there there's a whole other area we need to explore. And that's how my journey's been. And, and today, I mean, I'm as close as I've ever been, Tony, but I'm anticipating getting closer. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect and I do everything right. But it does mean I try hard. And when I mess up, instead of covering it up, I look up and say, hey, you know, forgive me again, please. I love and, that. Instead of covering you it know, up, you look up. That's that's powerful. Yeah, it's just, um, but but it's the same routine. I mean, I'm turning this new pharmacy venture over. I turned my, you know, I started that little blog or the morning uh, thought, oh gosh, about 11 years ago, I was still working the other pharmacy because I, I saw the potential negative impact the internet could have on people. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna make a little positive dent, just send out these little uplifting reminders to people. Yeah, they're not, I mean, they're not long. They're yeah. a paragraph or two usually. Yeah. And there's usually scripture tied to it and there's a yeah. quote. I'm, I love quotes. <laughs> so yeah. Um, how, now your little positive dent, how many people is that email going out to on a, on a daily basis? Well, I get, you know, at the end of the month, um, I mean, I'm not certain how many people it hits, but I'm always, I, well, I can't remember. I think it's 2,500 unique visitors to my website. Um, and about That's incredible. anywhere from 10 or 15,000 visits a month. And I remember starting out at 38. I don't know why I remember that number, but it's like the first year, like, I look at a web stat and say 38 people visited today. It's like, oh, be cool to maybe double that. <laughs> I love it. I, well, I, what I love about your story is the consistency in the behavior. I think if there's anything that, that we can uh, glean from in terms of, of that's applicable to everyone, no matter where you're at on the journey, is that it consistent behavior over an extended period of time results in real life change. And, and I I think that you've lived that, uh, I mean, since 1987, I mean, it's the only thing that works. Yeah. Very insightful on your part, but that's, I never really looked at it that way, but it is, it's just uh, been kind of this consistent journey. You know, one of the things that my counselor and I always talk about is is do the next right thing. And it feels like you found out what were some of the right things for you in 1987. And you just decided that you were never going to let go of them because you didn't want to go backwards. And oh. and I love that about you. I love that about you. And yet you're still looking forward for opportunities. You you live in the tension of both, which is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be uh, spending some time with you because I've got a podcast on my mind. Uh, recovery-oriented podcast, Tony. So yeah. since now you're in this world, um, I figure I can tap into your... Uh, anytime. Anytime. I'll teach you all the mistakes that I've made, and you can go the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the questions I love to ask all my guests, um, and I'm really interested in this for you, is that if, if you could go back and talk to, to uh, college basketball Jay, 
your younger self, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself if you could could go back in time and you're playing basketball at ONU, you're hooping it up, you're living the dream, you've met your your sweetheart. Uh, what's the one thing that you would tell yourself looking back? Uh, I, I I would say always continue to move forward no matter no matter what's going on in your life because life is this journey of connecting dots mm. and there there's nothing that you do that can't help you continue to move forward i mean i i was the biggest screw up there ever was in 1987 and but I look back on that time of I raised my hands up and said, God, help me. Um, and, and that was like connecting to a huge dot. But it was like this whole process of, you know, people just telling me I had a problem. And then, um, like you alluded to, doing the next right thing. But I but I I think it's just, you know, life is just about connecting dots. And when it really becomes uh, joyful, where, where you're feeling the fruits of the spirit more often than not, is when those dots are connected inside the boundaries laid down by, or basically led by Jesus. When I'm aligned with his will, um, so if I looked back, Tony, at that college basketball player and looked at my journey of dots, oh my Lord, it would have been all over the place, but they of all course, connected. yeah, yeah, all connected, and then they funneled, and now it's like there's there's this there's this focus where I'm 60 years old, man. I'm gonna check out soon, so I don't wanna I don't wanna uh, waste energy. So it's better when I'm connecting dots and walking the straight line, you know, versus the whole all over the place thing. That was that was long winded, but that. It's good, man. It's good. I, what I love about it and what I love about it is, is uh, you're still connecting dots like it, it doesn't stop. That just yeah. the, the seasons change, the environment changes, and maybe the, the method changes, but you're still connecting the dots. And and I know um, that you have helped so many people on their recovery journey. You've changed my life. I, I've got uh, over five years sober now because of the walk that you and I took together when I was. Uh, with you doing ministry at Next Step, and it's it's changed the way I deal with my own anxiety and stress, and my coping mechanisms, and my kind of addict thinking, and, and just the way that my brain works has been drastically changed by people uh, like you and, and several others from that Next Step community who just love me enough to be honest with me even when it hurt. And so I, I know on behalf of a lot of people, I just say thank you for that. Hey, thank you, Tony, and. Then- Believe me, I'm proud of you, brother. It's fun watching your journey. So if uh, if somebody wants to get connected with you, Jay, what's the best way uh, for them to reach out to you? Uh, your your website, um, what's the best way for them to sign up if they want to get your, your daily uh, email? Yeah. Uh, the website is eaglelaunch.com. It's eaglelaunch.com. Uh, and on the website, there's a place that you can sign up, enter your, your email. Um, and I have my, my email address is j at eaglelaunch.com. And then I'm on Facebook. Um, 
very light Instagram and, and, and uh, Twitter, but I'm Jay Meyer on Facebook. And uh, it's a picture of me and Jordy and a flamingo right now, if you're, because I'm sure there's multiple Jay Meyers out there. Well, and we'll put a link to it all in the show notes so that if, if you want to um, get in touch with Jay, uh, you can follow up with him that way. And I'm sure, because uh, I know that you're always open to sharing your story. So if, if there's, you know, somewhere that, needs a story shared that uh, Jay would be a great person to, to reach out to, to, to share that story. And, and let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Jay can also preach. He can preach the paint off the walls and he brings the fire. So, uh, I strongly recommend him for that. It's good. It's real good. Oh, thanks, man. I'm preaching this weekend at next step. So oh, praise God. I yeah. try to get out there. It's incredible. And so, uh, Jay, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for your transparency and your your vulnerability and what you do uh, to make your corner of the world a better place, and and for sharing us how you how you balanced faith and life throughout the years. Uh, any any closing comments for you? No, Tony. I just uh, the big thing is never underestimate the amazing powers of God. Amen. Amen. Like what you heard? Please take a minute to rate and share so others like you can find good practices for faith and life.